know what it looked like, what it meant, and to also see everything, to know what Jesus was looking at, to know what the disciples were looking at, and now you will. I'm going to start off, first of all, I have a few pictures to show you. One of them is the actual shoreline where we were, and this is uh, the pastor, music ministry leader at Heartland, reading the passage you just heard. And if you see in the very distance, this is about 500 yards off, there is a boat. Uh, That particular boat is one we were on a few hours later, going across the sea. But you can see out across the way, a few, a few yards closer than that, is about how far the boat was that Jesus saw the disciples. And that's the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now the shore of the Sea of Galilee, I've always assumed, my wife said it was rocky, that it was um, filled with you know pebbles and stones, but I, I was curious, so I went down and put my hands in the water, felt what it felt like, you know, I imagined Jesus being there. And, uh, and I took a picture of... What I thought would be very interesting for you to see the shore looks like. And the next picture is what that shore looks like. Everything are little bitty shells. There's a couple pebbles in there and maybe a couple little twigs and things. But it's all little bitty shells in one form or another deterioration. Uh, those little shells, uh, the one that's uh, cone-shaped or whatever, regular shell shape, is about an inch big. So you can see how small those little bitty shells are. From a distance, it looks like a sandy beach, but it's not. It's a shell-filled beach at the Sea of Galilee. I did not know that. I thought that was uh, quite remarkable to have that many shells in one place. And um, I have a couple little baggies full of those little shells from that exact pile of shells. So you'll see those um, one day when I bring them in. A lot of different things to share with you. I'm not going to overwhelm you all at once. just wouldn't be fair. But when Jesus made them breakfast that day, He made it on a bed of coals and served them of what they say is at a certain rock. And that rock is now inside of a church. Um, That rock is that rock. Which I also touched that rock. And other people, as you can see, hands there are weeping there, praying, thanking God for that particular place. That's where Jesus reinstated Peter. I thought you might want to see that because as a part of this story, some amazing circumstantial things happen. A lot of people talk about the um, where Jesus was calling Peter back into the fold and saying, feed my sheep. But we're not looking at that story today. What I will tell you is that it is a beautiful location. That when I was there and you saw the... I call them hills. They're more like mountains. Um, they rise up from the shore about six or 700 feet, I would guess. Uh, further higher up in the Golan Heights. If you look further, you can see higher ones in the distance. All the way up to about four or 5,000 feet tall. Uh, Mount Hebron was snow covered and you could see that uh, in certain locations. Um, but this particular place is the main focus where those pictures I took there 
where a large portion of Jesus' ministry was taken within just a few feet, a few yards, a few miles from that spot. So that's where a lot of the Scripture in the New Testament is focused on. It isn't like He journeyed to Sea of Galilee then went over here and did ministry and over there and over there. It was a lot of the miracles around the Sea of Galilee, including the 5,000 which He fed. The Sermon on the Mount was there. The casting out of the uh, uh, demon into the pigs who were drowned in the Sea of Galilee obviously was at the Sea of Galilee. The place where Peter lived was near there. The synagogue where Jesus taught and they wanted to throw him off the cliff is near there. There are a lot of different things that happen. And when Jesus, on this particular morning, shortly after His resurrection, is the third occasion in which He appears to His disciples. In that location, as the story begins to unfold, the disciples don't have a clear direction from Jesus yet. The day of Pentecost hasn't happened. The church hasn't been formed. So they're going back to their regular life. You may remember a sermon I shared a few years ago about this passage where Peter um, said, he's gone, I'm going fishing. And he went back to his old life. And that's where they were on the Sea of Galilee fishing that morning it just so happens that those who were with him were Simon Peter, Thomas the twin, Nathaniel, James and John, and two others were with them together on that particular morning. So they went and got into the boat, those men, to go fishing, and they went fishing in the evening and fished all night. They caught nothing. That's important to understand that sometimes when you go fishing, you're fishing but not catching. All fishermen know days like that. It's true. And why do you think it's significant that they would experience days like that? Because when you fish, there's days of great catch, And days of no catch. And then there's all in between days. And they would know if they were going to be fishers of men, they would also apply the same principles. Some days you find that there are people who are hungry for God, and some days they aren't biting at all. It's just the way it is for fishing. So they caught nothing. Now the morning comes and Jesus standing on the shore. They don't know it's Him. Obviously, they're about 600 feet away from where Jesus was. They could not recognize Him from that distance. And He says to them, Do you have any food? Now, for a fisherman, the word food is fish. What are they catching? They're catching food. They're catching something to eat. Maybe something to sell if there's extra, but you got to eat first and you sell the rest. Even a wise fisherman doesn't buy his own fish. He eats what he catches. And they said, no, we don't have any food. Basically, they're saying, we've caught nothing. Now, how do you know he means food and fish? Because he says to them in the next verse, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Some what? Food! Mm -hmm. 
The food is fish. It's what you'll find. That's what they're looking for is food. Fish is food. That's a good way to say that. Now they cast out the net and they were able to, not able to draw them because they caught so many. A bunch of them. I got a good look and I have other pictures I didn't put up there of modern day fishermen and their boats over where we ate on the other side uh, near to Gerasa where, Gergasa where the demoniac was. Um, and they have modern day fishing boats there. And if you look at them, they don't have fishing lines. They still use dragnets. They see the way to fish is the way it always has been, with a net. Hasn't changed in 2,000 plus years. Sea of Galilee, you fish with a net. And so, when they were fishing all night, they were dragging their net and they usually you catch something, but this time nothing. And maybe the disappointment was there, maybe they're getting frustrated. But this process of catching the fish would be a, a large dragnet that could hold maybe 75, 100 fish. Now, fish, if you're not sure, I didn't put the picture up of the fish because I've eaten some of it. Or my wife did, I can't remember which one she took a picture of. But they're about this big. And uh, they're not like fish I've seen before. they got a bunch of little bitty teeth. Uh, so I do not want to catch one or try and pick it up with my hand or take the hook out by putting my hand in the mouth of these fish. The teeth would snap a regular fishing line. At least that's what it looks like. They look pretty vicious. I wouldn't want to encounter one nibbling on me. If I were swimming in that sea, let's put it that way. And uh, that fish, each fish was about this big. I would say a pound and a half, two pounds. So this is at least 300 pounds of fish, we're going to find out. It's in the net that was built for about 200. Um, so they, uh, they, they couldn't draw the net in that was used. And the fish that they had was in a large capacity. I want to you to hear this. It says, although they caught that many fish, the net did not break. Most fishermen know if you catch too many, and you've seen other stories where Jesus says catch, and what do they do? They had to bring other boats. Because mm -hmm. the net's breaking. And the net wouldn't hold them all. That's how many fish they caught when they had caught none before, and Jesus was calling them to be disciples. By the way, when He called them to be disciples, it was on the Sea of Galilee, very near to where they were fishing this time. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go fishing and I catch a lot of fish in a certain spot, I like to go back. I imagine that when they caught the multitude of fish and couldn't fill up uh, just one but two, maybe even three boats over the rim of fish, that they would go back to that spot because it worked. This is kind of like what their boats look like. And this is a couple of the guys working with a dragnet. This little piece is called Jesus and the Fisherman. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they're working on pulling in a net. Mm-hmm. And you can see that's not actual size of the boat. It could hold about a dozen people, maybe 13, 14 plus a net and fish and some other equipment. But this particular boat, I saw it and it really moved me and I'll tell you why. Because these guys are pulling in the net and, and I'm thinking 153 fish. That's what they're pulling. I'm thinking this story when I saw this boat. However, Jesus is in this boat. And I thought, you know, that's not quite an accurate depiction because He's on the shore in the story. But I was wrong. Jesus is in the boat. He's on the shore. He is where you are. He was there with them all night when they caught no fish. He asked them if they caught any food. But he already had fish cooking on the coals because he knew they hadn't. Mm-hmm. Now, now this story is really important because Jesus is getting ready to feed them breakfast. And we see in, uh, in verse 9, as soon as they came to land, they were dragging the net. It took them a while to get it in because it was so full. And uh, they saw a fire of coals there with fish on it and bread. Okay, I always read this story, you know, he cooked them breakfast, there's the fish and the bread, but listen to what he says. He says, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Bring some of the fish. Why would he ask them to bring fish if he's already got the fish cooking on the coals? I didn't ever put that together until this week after thinking about that story and trying to put all these pieces together, why bring fish? He didn't say bring all of them. He said bring some. Bring some. You're fishers of men. He's doing a metaphor for their call as fishers of men. You may have had a lot in your vicinity that you could catch, but you can bring some. So bring some. And I believe these would be the extras for the fire. But it's not about the fire. It's about bringing some of which you've caught to Jesus. He says, if you want to read it in English properly, bring me some of the fish you have caught. Bring to me those fish. So our job as a church, when we're out working for the kingdom, is to get the fish and bring them to Jesus. Not catch them, bring them to Jesus. That we may catch a lot, but we bring some. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of folks who walk through our doors for the food pantry, and we've identified more than 70, 80, 90 or so families that over the years have come through. Maybe more than that. I don't have an exact number. But we're not going to get them all in here. But we caught them. But we're going to bring some. That's our task, to bring some to Jesus. So Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net to the land full of the fish and he counted them. Commercial fishermen, seasoned fishermen, and us not so seasoned usually count how many we caught to talk about it. Usually the question is, how's the fishing and how many you got? Most fishermen know that answer, right? Mm-hmm. Any luck? I got six. My favorite fishing story 
is a guy asking another guy who was fishing just come upon the scene. He said, any luck today? He says, well, if the one I'm biting and his brother and one more catch, I'll have three. In other words, he hadn't caught anything. So, when we fish, we're not just fishing to go, oh, I caught it and put it back. We think about it. We, we remember the big ones, we remember the little ones, but we almost always count how many. I don't know why it matters. But my dad and I used to fish. We'd catch 50, 60 mesh of fish. We'd count every last one of them. And I'm thinking, why are we counting these? I guess because he wanted to tell the story. But commercial fishermen got to know how many they need as to how many their lives require and how many they can sell above and beyond the amount that's necessary for family. So Peter counts, just like a good fisherman would do. And his number is 153. Now I love this story because I used to put this story like moving real quick sequentially. Jesus makes the bread and the bread and the fish, puts it on the fire. He sees them come on. Peter swims in. They bring the fish in and they eat. It's not like that. It probably took a matter of an hour or two or three to transpire from when Jesus first sees them to when they come with a count of fish. You might say, why is that? Because one guy counting 153 fish isn't going to get done in a minute. And, and when you catch fish, you don't just count them and put them back in the net. You've got to do something with them. There's a process, isn't there? What are you going to do? Put them on a string? They didn't have it. Put them in a five-gallon bucket? They didn't have a five-gallon bucket. What do they do with them? I don't know. But I do know this. They count them and they keep them. And they had to do something with them. And whatever he did with them, he did that before he sat down for breakfast. And they brought some of the fish that he counted to Jesus. So, it's not a um, uh, uh, come to eat and they jump in, bring the fish and we're eating. I would say this took two to three hours. It's a hard job to be a fisherman. Mm-hmm. Messy. Smelly. I don't know about you, but after I'm done fishing, if I've caught any, I smell like fish on my hands sometimes. On me, if they splatter and splash and mess. If you clean them, you're going to get some of that. On. It's just not a good situation, you know. But anyway... The story has a whole lot more than when you first look, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. When you start to break it down piece by piece, verse by verse, you see that each piece adds to the other. And what I want to share with you is that the net didn't break. And they had 153 fish. Yep. 153. I, I, I never gave that much attention. I thought, well, that's a lot of fish. I usually don't catch that many. But that was my thought. I don't usually catch that many. I don't know if you usually catch that many when you go, but I don't usually catch that many. As a matter of fact, of all the times I've caught that many, there would be none. None. Caught in several, but never that many. So how many times have you caught 153 fish or more in a single excursion? One time, says Dink. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of times we can say, yeah, every time, you know, just doesn't happen. 
So could you imagine, with that large catch, which it was large for them, mm-hmm. because their nets obviously weren't big enough to hold that many, they didn't expect that many. And there's 153. The significance of that number is not lost to the disciples, but it is to us. Because we don't know their culture. We don't understand their time. Mm-hmm. And we don't understand exactly what's going on in the story. You get a clue if you read through Scriptures, but you'd have to look really, really hard and a long time to even begin to piece this together. And you'd have to be one of these historians that's really interested in certain things to know why that's a number that matters. I'll just break it down for you. 153 was the exact number of known peoples in the lands at that time. Of the Greeks, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Syrophoenicians, the Syrians, the Samaritans, all those, 153 known different peoples. Number of, not, not nations, but genetic, genetic people dialects, if you will. Cyrenians, uh, Phoenicians, all the different people that were around at that time were 153. Is it any wonder that he caught 153 fish? What are they going to catch in their ministry? People. Is there any known dialect or tribe or nation that was excluded? No. Later, they would understand this when they realized even the Gentiles. Not just the Jews and the twelve tribes. Here's what I want to tell you. The net didn't break. It means God can hold them all. That you can catch as many as you will. There will be room for them. God will ensure... If we get too many, they'll still fit. The place won't break if we get too many people for the kingdom of God here. If we get all 392 that are left of the 400 that are unchurched in our area, God will find a way to get them in. Our job is to go out and drop the net. When there's no success after working all night long and laboring and getting discouraged, He says drop the net. Fishermen don't quit. People who love God and believe that the ministry of the Gospel is for all people don't quit because someone says no and doesn't bite. It's not a bad day. It's a day where you find out whether or not you got the tenacity to continue fishing. It's a day to find out whether or not you're a fisherman. Fishing for men, women, and children for the Kingdom of God. It's those days that God is calling us to. It's the day when they begin to look at all the things that happened throughout all their time with Jesus and realize it all makes sense. Everything Jesus said, everything He did was to include us all, including people who don't know Him. Our task is to continue the work of the disciples. A verse came to my heart this morning. 
And I want to share it with you. It says that every last word we utter will be called to accountability. And I I thought about that for a moment in light of this message. And I thought, well, what kind of words are there in terms of relationships? The only two I could find. It's the ones we say to somebody or ones we say about somebody. That's it. To them or about them in, in terms of their relationship. Everything else is just conversation. So, if we're accountable one day for the words we say to somebody, it means every word we say needs to be done in love. That it's a net gathering in, bringing in, rather than pushing away. Because God says, bring them in. He says, bring me the ones you caught. I didn't want to catch that one. No fisherman ever says, I didn't want to catch that fish. No fishermen, they just drop the net and they bring in what God puts in the net. And the second thing is what we say about somebody. Are we honoring them away from them? Are we encouraging and building them up or tearing them down in the eyes of others? We're accountable for these things. And the reason I say that is is because as fishers of men and women and children in this world, that we have to know what we're saying to and about people as to whether or not we can even be an effective witness when those words come back to them or come back to us. A word said in anger towards someone could push that person away from you ever being able to reach that person. Or a word said in disgust or contempt or um, chastisement rather than building, loving, encouraging, and drawing. Are we dropping the net everywhere we go? Even if we're not catching fish, are we dropping nets? Are we realizing Jesus is in our boat of our life with us in this sea called life and He's saying, drop the net. Mm -hmm. I didn't catch anything. Drop the net. Keep doing it. Not every drop catches something. But it doesn't mean you blame the fish. <laughs> you think you think about that. Well, you know, they're just not they don't want to be with Jesus. It's a fish's problem. No, it's not. It's a fisherman's problem. Because their job is to catch the fish. Catch the fish. Drop the net. Do the work of the gospel. God will provide. The net will hold what you catch. And He says, bring them to Me. Don't decide which ones are worthy or not worth your time. Bring them to Jesus. Let Him figure it out. Standing on the Sea of Galilee, I began to see something that I'd never seen before. Excuse me. I saw how beautiful and serene the place looks. But those fishermen saw it as their work environment. And they may have taken for granted how beautiful the weather is, except for when storms kick up. They may have taken for granted how wonderful the mountains and the valleys are all around them. 
there. And as I stood and looked at it, I said, what an amazing place. No wonder Jesus preferred to do God's work there. It's, and I'll tell you why the fishermen lived there. It's, it's a very simple, simple statement. It's where the fish are. They didn't live in the desert and no fish. They lived on this beautiful sea because that's where the fish were. Where do you spend your life? Where the fish are? In the desert? In your own world? Where are you? Are you casting nets in a desert? You won't catch anything. Are you trying to learn to be fishers? Are you trying to learn how to fish the way God asked us to? As He said at the Great Commission, which He did with them short time after this, not far from where we were, to go to all nations, make disciples. Great Commission. Remember that? Go to where? Where? All nations. How many are there? 153 at that time. There's more than that now. But 153. Go to all of them. And bring them to me. Make disciples. Bring them to me. Make them. Go and make. Why do we as a church still miss this? Go where the fish are. Our task as this church is to rise up to be the church and the church goes where the disciples go, which is to where the fish are. Can't do it here with the fish are. We aren't fish. We're caught. We're already in the net. There's room. This morning, a lot of folks are sick. we got a lot more room. But I promise you, if we do the work, God will fill the net. And if you're willing to, God will. And even if you're not willing to, but you do the work, God will still fill the net. Just do the work. 150, can you imagine? 153 nations, they each of one nation got one. That would be 153 people. And they have families. And they have friends. It's true. So if you just bring one of 153 or of the 400, they have friends and family. They do. And do you know what they'll find? They'll find Jesus. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we so often get complacent and think, well, that's somebody else's job. But you called us to be the fishermen. Lord, we... We've uh, rested on not knowing how as excuses and not knowing when or where or why or rationalizing lack of activity, but you said we would be responsible for every word, action, and deed that we said to or about someone and what we did and did not do to bless those in your name. So, Heavenly Father, I'm asking you this morning to stir our hearts to be workers, to be fishers.
And all we have to do is follow you, and you'll show us where the fish are. Heavenly Father, help us to rise up to do that. And may the catch for your kingdom be enough that the net strains. <coughs> Heavenly Father, if you'd do that for us, with us, your kingdom would be established here in this place. And we will give you the praise and glory now as it comes to pass. Amen.